Oh, come on, you got to be better than that. Good morning! Listen, it's, it's Labor Day weekend, and I'm going to need a lot of energy from you this morning. I'm going to need you to amen, to say some yeses. Listen, the, here's how it works. The more energy you have, all right, the better I preach and the shorter I preach. <laughs> some of y'all just read, amen! Yeah, okay. I'm lying. All right, listen. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. Hey, do me a favor. Would you turn to your neighbor and tell them you are so glad to see them right now? Would you just say, I am so glad to see you? Now, would you turn to your second choice and explain to them why they're the second choice of your life? Hey, we're in a series called Ecclesiastes, and we're going to jump into this thing. And I, I love this series in a way, in a sort of a way. But uh, Pastor Key has done an amazing job in the last couple weeks really breaking this down. And I love the illustration of, keep this in your mind today. He, he used this illustration with us where there's a young man sitting in a chair and an older man standing basically above him, giving him wisdom. And that's what this book's about. It's this wisdom. It's like, it's almost like Simon Cowell wrote this book. You know you watch American Idol, right? Everybody watch American Idol or, or the other show, the America's Got Talent. And you see these people who get onto these shows and you wonder, how did you get on this show? And what, what, because, and then someone has to be real with them because they get up there and they think, I'm going to be the next whatever. And they begin to sing, and it's horrible. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Most of us watch it because of that. You know you do. You're like, yeah, get him, Simon Cow. You know, we watch it because of that. And but somebody, and let's be real, they got to that place where they, and I'm not talking about the ones who joke and do all that. There are certain people who believe somehow that they can sing, but no one ever gave them real truth. No one ever said, hey, buddy, I'm sorry. Can you juggle? Because you can't sing. Maybe juggling's your thing. See, that's what happened to me, right? <laughs> There's no way I'm singing. They're not letting me up here. Can we do this real quick? Can we give our band just a round of applause for a second? They were so good today. So good. So hang on to that concept, that thought here as we walk through this today, as we look at Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2, about 17 through 26. You can turn your Bible there and start to get ready. But it's like this wisdom is coming down unto this young person. Let me recap a little bit. First week, we talked about uh, what it's all about, this universe. Uh, it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't offer what we really long for, and it comes up empty. And then we looked at last week where we talked about hedonism. Live it up! Life is short, you're going to die, so you better have fun, all right? And then you realize, well, hold on, that's going to end up empty as well. Well, today, this writer here, this teacher, preacher, uh, they're going to go really into about our careers and our, and our jobs and create meaning in our, uh, our work, our careers, our, our um, achievements. So we're going to break that down. But before we do that, I want you to look at this. American Psychological Association, okay, they did a survey, and they asked this question, what is the greatest stress of your life? And the number two thing that came up was work-related stress. That was number two. Number one was about the world and how the world's going and all that kind of stuff, and I think we all can relate to that. But number two was work, your job. And we're going to jump into this career and all that kind of stuff here in a second, but I wanted to look at these statistics that I found on the American Psychological Association. Look at this. 80% of workers feel stressed on the job. That's 80% of you are saying, I feel stressed when I'm at work. 
that's a problem. Look at this, 25% have felt like screaming or shouting because of job stress. Where are you? Okay, no. <laughs> 20, so that means what? That 75% actually have done it. 25 are thinking about it, 75 has actually done it. So 25% have felt like screaming or shouting because of job stress. Look at this one. I thought this was interesting. 10% are concerned about an individual at work they feel could become violent. I work next door to Chuck Fear. I mean, Chuck, uh, Chuck Davis over here, Pastor Chuck. I'm in that 10%. No, I'm just kidding. 10% are concerned about somebody at work going crazy. That would stress you out. I guess that would find, I would think if I'm going to work and I'm worried about somebody doing this, which comes to this one. Look at the number four, look at this next one. 14%, go to the next one right here. Hey, there it is, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. 14% felt like striking a coworker in the past year. <laughs> Chuck, y'all see me limping in, you know what happened. 14% felt like striking a co-worker in the past year. What is going on at people's jobs? Well, let's break that down. Let's look at it a little bit. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at how this, this preacher, teacher, and some will say Solomon wrote this, this wise person speaking to this young person sitting in this chair. Let's look at this. Let's break this down on what he says. I want to start in verse 17. He said this. Read it with me. We'll be up here, but have your Bibles with you. So I came to hate life. Aren't you glad you came this morning? So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless. Meaningless, he puts in here. It's like what? Chasing the? Now, I don't know if you've ever chased the wind or not. You're not going to catch it. It's meaningless. It's, uh, in, in the Hebrew, it's haval, which means Vanity. It, it, there's this thing there that we chase, and, and, and it, it's totally meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Verse 18, he says, I came to hate all of my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. Mm. So I'm working hard. I'm doing everything I can. I'm toiling and toiling and toiling away, and I have to now leave it to somebody else. And when people spend their whole lives seeking meaning and purpose, when they sing their whole lives looking for identity and satisfaction in their, achievement, in their achievements, in their work, uh, in their careers, this realization, all right, that eventually you have to leave it to somebody. You have to give it to somebody. And you got to hand it over. And this starts to set in. And you toil and you toil and you work and you work. And your whole life, all kinds of things that you find identity in, and then now you have to lose it all at the end of your life. It's gone. You don't get it back. You can't take it with you no matter what they tell you. You cannot. And when you, then you realize eventually someone you don't know or maybe someone you do know is going to take over your work. That's wild when you really think about that and you lay that down. Look what he says in verse 19. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise with it or foolish with it? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill, my hard work. I did it under the sun. And he says it again, how meaningless. The word meaningless, the habal there, and he, 38 times he uses this in this book. 
Now, if this is Solomon, if this is the writer of this book right here, which most think it is, he knows he's about to go, and all this he's worked on is about to go to his son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam is, is his son who then later on, and you can read about this another time, but he ends up dividing the kingdom. He was not the best choice to be taking over. He didn't lead, lead wisely in that. Someone can take what you've worked for over an entire lifetime and squander it overnight. I read this story this week. Check this out. There was a man who somewhere in his life for 40 years he dug tunnels. I don't know why he did this, but one day he told his wife, he had wife, he had kids, he quit his job, he bought this giant piece of property, acres and acres of land, and this man then went out and started digging tunnels. And for 40 years of his life, he dug tunnels. Now, tunnels that were so cool, people started coming by going, hey, can we see your tunnels? And he's like, yeah, come on in. And then he would bring people in, people started becoming a tourist attraction. And he went crazy with the tunnels all over. I mean, you could go through them. You could pay to actually get in. And it was this really neat thing. But this guy, every, and it's just what the story said. Every single day, this man went out and started a new tunnel. Worked, worked until sun up, till sun down. And he would come home and rest and get up and dig some more tunnels. Well, this man eventually died, probably from digging tunnels. And he died, and in his will, he left it to his son. This man, 40 years of digging tunnels. He leaves this to his son. You know, it was a tourist attraction. It was, you know, it was like raided. I mean, it was on Yelp, you know, best tunnels I've ever been to. You know, I don't know how many tunnels you're going to, but, you know. But people were going to this thing. His son gets it, and on the second day of owning this property, he sold it, and they crushed it and built condos just like that. This man's 40 years of his life of digging tunnels, his being, his everything. It was everything to this man. In one instant, his son says, I think condos will be better than tunnels. We're going to have upstairs tunnels. Okay, I don't know. But look what happened here. Get this. It was gone. And, And that becomes very empty. Look what he says in verse 21 here. He says, some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, they must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy, he says. So what do people get in, the, in, in this life for all their hard work and their anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief, especially from digging tunnels, you're definitely going to have some pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest, and he says it again, it's meaningless. Let this hang in for a second. Not only this, but you, you, you lived a life of hardship. You lived a life of challenges. You lived a life, a life of stressing, sleepless nights, he talks about right here. And all those moments when you had gone through it all, hardship and experienced the pain of work, and then it's over, just like that. What's it worth? That's the question. Why am I pushing so hard? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I working so hard? Why am I getting up day in and day out and continuing to move forward and trying to gain the the next plaque or the next credit or the next this or the next achievement? Why do I work so hard? Well, the preacher here kind of lays it down. Work can be viewed that way. You can spend a whole life building tunnels, 40 years of your life building tunnels, and at the end, it's back to nothing. When our work becomes a source of meaning, 
listen to this part. When our work becomes a source of meaning and significance, it is indeed like a bunch of tunnels. And those tunnels are going to be empty, very empty. If this world is all about, if this world is all there is, I get it. You understand, why do we work and we stress so hard? Listen, so if we approach life from a worldly view, a worldly view, if we're not looking at a godly view, but a worldly view, well, uh, I get that. But listen, the preacher here actually helps us in this. This is the first time now he brings God up in this Bible. I mean, in this, in Ecclesiastes. This is when he finally brings it to a, a, a deal here in verse 24 right here. He said, so I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and find satisfaction in work. He said, I found out there's nothing better than just finding my satisfaction in work. But then I realized something. And I like this part here. He says, then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of? It's right there. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of? So I'm going to keep going today if y'all don't get, you know, get back with me. We'll be here until 1.30, all right? No, I'm just kidding. Stay with me. Somebody's like, yeah, all right, no, I'm just kidding. All right, when we acknowledge God, listen, all the work becomes something very different. Don't miss that. Because why? We were actually made to work. Genesis chapter 2 says we're made to work. He put Adam into the garden and said, work it. He put Adam in that garden and said, hey, listen, I want you to work it and I want you to keep it. We were made to work. Work has a purpose in this universe, and we're going to get into that in just a second. But when we have that attitude where all of a sudden now that attitude changes and switches a little bit, I want you to hear this. We view in the, when we start viewing it in the lens of God, it matters. It's meaningful. It actually has significance. So, but here's the powerful question that he is about to ask. Look at verse 24, uh, 25, yeah. He says, for what can we eat or enjoy anything? For who can we eat or enjoy anything apart from God? I love the NIV. It says this, for without him... Who can eat or find enjoyment? Can we enjoy anything in this life without him? That's the big question. No. I don't know if you came to hear something else, but no. (laughs) You can't. And I get these all the time. I talked about this in Life Group a little bit this morning. It's like, you know, I get phone calls and I get phone calls from different people. And I meet people not just from church, but I meet people outside of church. And I tell them what I do. And I'm a pastor and, you know, and things of that nature. And I give them my phone number. And then I will get a phone call at times and saying, hey, I'm going through and I'm struggling. And and I've so many times said, you know, well, then you need to give it to the Lord. Well, I'm not a Christian or I don't believe in God. I go, but you called a pastor. I'm only going to give you that. If you call me and ask me for help, I'm going to lead you to God's word. No doubt. So call somebody else if you want a different answer. And I told a guy, I said, you better call somebody else because you, and I've had to say that more than once. You called a pastor. So I'm going to lead you to his word. I'm going to lead you to him, not what the world says. Because guys, listen, it's meaningless. That's the whole point of this, by, of this Ecclesiastes, that life without God, Jesus, is meaningless. It's hopeless. It's horrible. Verse 26 goes on and says, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. But if the sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him. This too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. With God, work is incredibly rewarding. Without God, a person stresses and pushes and grinds the whole life for nothing. 
And God has a way of transferring all that value over to people who are living for him. I want to give you three things very quickly here, three key principles that you can add to your life about your job, wherever you may be. If you're in that 80%, maybe you're in that 80% saying, man, I'm stressed out. Maybe you're in that 14% where you're going to strike somebody on Tuesday when you go back to work. Maybe you fall into that. I don't know, but let's look at it differently here. So let me give you three key principles here. These are just some principles. Number one, write this down. Discover your real purpose and make a difference with your life. Discover your real purpose and make a difference with your life. The happiest people I know are not the ones with a better job than you. The happiest people I know are not the ones who have more money, a different wife, a better wife, a better husband, a better this, a better that, a better home, a bigger car, a vacation home of this, of this, I can go to the beach, whatever. That's not the happiest people I know. Let me tell you the happiest people I know is what they have in their life and what they're doing is truly meaningful. Those people are happy. When they're doing something that means something, the Bible says that everyone is called to do something in God's economy. And we have to do that. Secular society, secular psychologists even say the happy, I'm sorry, secular psychologists and sociologists, they actually say the happiest people are doing something with their life that's making a real difference. When you can make a difference and that becomes part of your job and where you're at, that changes everything. I like how this says right here. A career will give you something to live on. A calling will give you something to live for. I'm going to say it again until I get an amen. A career will give you something to live on. A calling will give you something to live for. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You better. But think about that. Hang in on that for a second. A lot of people don't have something to live for. So when they go to work, and there's, you're not living for something and you go to work and all you're doing is checking in and checking out. I got to pay this bill or that bill. And then it's just like, ah. Luckily, my career is my calling. Pastor Key's career is his calling. We have that. But even the most famous, probably the second most famous guy in, in the whole New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he had a job too. Look, look, look at what he says. I want you to see this. In Acts 20, verse 23 and 24, he says this. He says, I don't know. He goes, I do know, sorry, I do know that it won't be any picnic. He's like, listen, I know it's not going to be a picnic. For the Holy Spirit has already told me repeatedly and clearly that there's going to be hard times and what? Imprisonment. So he knows there's going to be hard times. There's going to be imprisonment. There's going to be bad times. It's going to happen. I'm going to get punched in the face by my coworker. I know it's going to happen. But look at this last part right here, and I bolded this for a reason. But that matters little. How do you get from, man, it's going to stink, to it don't matter? How does he get from here to hear. Wouldn't you want to know the solution to that? I think I would. I know I actually do. But look what he says on this next verse right here. He says, I'll go to this one. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me. He says, it matters little to me. And then he says this, and then I put this verse in here. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the, the work. Unless I finish the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news 
about the wonderful grace of God. Isn't that great? Paul sets the example of work here. It's going to be tough. Not it may be tough, it's going to be tough, but it can be endured. And when you are making a difference in other people's lives, it doesn't matter. I talked to Mike Dorsey right before uh, the service today because I wanted to share something uh, about him. And I was making sure of it because, again, I don't like to get punched in the face. But I asked him. And I said, hey, listen, do you remember the time that we had a drive through Easter Bunny? Did anybody remember the coming to the, anybody come? I'm just curious, the drive through Easter, okay, some of y'all did, all right? Listen, we had this thing where we had a drive through Easter Bunny, and people were there, and, and we had a bunny out there, and people, kids would come up in their cars, they would get out, and it was super hot, okay? It was probably about 130 degrees out there, super hot. We had somebody in a bunny costume, and it was 400 degrees, okay? I'm just telling you, it, it, it was really rough that day. And... We had people, like we had this zigzag thing all through the, the parking lot. And out in the middle of the parking lot was Mike Dorsey. And I love this man. And I started, and I go out there, and I'm watching Mike out there in this heat. He's wearing this hat. He's doing his thing. And he's out there uh, directing traffic, pointing at stuff and pointing at people and just having a great time. And I'm thinking, it's too hot for him to be out here. That was my first instinct. So I go out there thinking, hey, Mike, you know, you don't have to be here. You don't have to be out here. Man, and I, and I, I, I was almost kind of like, shouldn't there someone else be here? And I looked at him. I said, hey, you don't have to do this. We can get somebody else. And, man, he rebuked the fire out of me. <laughs> no, not like that. He goes, no. He goes, this is my thing. I want to be here. I love doing this. I love being a part of this. And, and what did he say, Mike? I wrote it. He says, he, this is what he said. He goes, this is why I'm here. And I don't believe that he meant this is why I'm here, okay, at Bannockburn. This is why I'm here on this earth. And so I just kind of turned around and said, yes, sir. That's the best thing you do, right? <laughs> I'll get you some water, you know, and I'll go run. But I love, and that's the servant, not just Mike, but there's so many other of you in this room, you get that. You understand that. Here's number two, write this down. Consider your vocation, your ministry, location. Think about this for a second. Consider your vocation, your ministry, location. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, whether you're a student, doesn't matter. Consider your, your vocation, your ministry location. Not just here, not here just to put in time, but where you are is your ministry. Where you are is your ministry. Remember a minute ago I talked about Paul having a job. Look at Acts 18 right here. It says, after Athens, Paul went to Corinth that, where he discovered Aquila. That's her name. Oh, his name. A Jew born of Pontus and his wife, Priscilla. We got Aquila and Priscilla. Oh, you know they had to be cool, right? I would have them on the first impressions team. Oh, they'd be out there holding sign. Hey, it's my wife, you know, Priscilla, and I'm Aquila. They had just arrived from Italy, part of the general expulsion of Jews from Rome, ordered by Claudius. Look at this. This is the part I want you to see. Paul moved in with them, and they worked together at their common trade of what? Tent making. Yeah, Paul had a job. He was a tent maker. And I promise you this, he probably did not like that job because this is the only time he ever mentions it, okay? But he did it. Look at this. He ministered to Priscilla and Aquila doing the same job. And then every Sabbath, he went out to the meeting place doing his best to convince both Jew and Greeks about Jesus. 
He was a church planner. He was a preacher. He was evangelist. He was a gospel writer. And he was also a tent maker. He used his vocation as his ministry location, no matter what. Paul saw every place he was as an opportunity to share Jesus. That's the part I want you to hear this morning. So imagine this. Imagine you get up in the morning one day during work. You do your Bible study. You, you pray. Spend some time in God's Word. And you get up and you drive to Chick-fil-A. Chiklas phileus is in the Greek. It's godly. I made that up. Don't look it up. And you go and you buy a bunch of chicken minis. Oh, I don't know if you've had the chicken minis or not, but my Lord, the chicken minis are just out of this world, aren't they? The bread, the little chicken in there, you put a little grit. Okay, so you get the chicken minis. Just do, think about this for a minute. And you go to work. This place that stresses you out. This place that just uh, grinds at you, that you work day in and day out. And you're just like, I don't like that boss. I don't like her at the copy machine. She just... Too many copies. I don't know what you do. But, you know, I don't like that. And you go and get a family size of chicken minis. And I've seen this family size. And I'm not denying or admitting I've eaten an entire thing of family size chicken minis. But you take those to your job, plop them down and go, here you go, guys. Enjoy. What would that do? I just want you to think about that for a second. What would that do if you change and your attitude changes in just a little bit where you go, you know what, I'm going to come in this with a different perspective. I'm going to come in my job with a different attitude. I don't have this on a slide, but I wish I would have now. We may not be called to the job, but we are called to the people on the job. I'm going to say it again. We may not be called to that job, but we are called to the people at that job. And God can use every single one of you in this room. Maybe you go and you bring some chicken minis. And then, you know, we have these cards right here. These are invite cards. And maybe you go and you drop them down and you just say, hey, how can I pray for you? Maybe you don't want to pray for them right there at work. That might become uncomfortable. But how can I, hey, how can I pray for you? Or how can I, what can I do for you? How, and maybe hand them an abandoned burn card that says, a place to belong. I handed this to somebody recently that was at a, a place I was at. And they grabbed it. And they stared at it for a long time. And I thought, well, did I spell abandoned burn wrong? And you won't know the difference if you did. But, you know, but they, were, they were looking at it like this. And I'll never forget this. This lady looks up at me and she goes, I need a place to belong. It'd be amazing how many people that you come in contact that you don't even know that need a place to belong. I want to encourage you, grab a card on your way out the door. Our first impression team will be out there and they'll be handing these to you. Take it. Buy, you know, go so I, I love this. Buy the person's behind you's coffee and give them this. Say, you know what? I want to buy my coffee and I want to get the guy. Make sure there's not a carload of people before, you know, before you do this. You know, you just got to make sure they're not, you maybe want to ask them, you know, hey, what do they order? You know, well, they're actually ordering for a company right now. <laughs> the bill is 475 No, don't do that. Unless you got it, then do it. But you know what I'm saying? Buy the person behind you's coffee. Grab them a card. Say, hey, just give them this. Tell them it's on me. No, no attachments. I don't want anything from you. But just come. Listen, where we are is our ministry location. Here's my question. Who's your Aquila and Priscilla? Who's your Aquila and Priscilla? Find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. God says that we are to be the light. 
that we are to walk in and be the light. And listen, the best ministry of this church happens outside the walls of this church. Yeah, we're going to do what we can in here. We're going to push and we're going to grind and we're going to work the pastors and we're going to do everything we can. But let me tell you where the best ministry happens. It happens outside the walls of this church from you. You go and be the light and you never know who you're going to run into. Last one, number three. Work for God, not people. Work for God, not people. And this was a hard one for us. This is a hard one for even for pastors because you know what? We have to, do we worry about what you think and what you say and what do, you know, but at the end of the day, the pastor and I and all the other pastors and people and, and you, we have to stand in front of God and we have to be accountable to him. And I want to work for him and not people. And it's very easy to be a people pleaser. We all can be that. But at the end of the day, I'm responsible for today. Ultimately, we are working for the Lord by maintaining an eternal perspective. Joy can replace job-related stress, of course. But when, when I first read this, when Pastor Keith came and said, hey, you got this section, and I read it, the very first verse came to me was this one I'm about to read to you. And it's a verse that's like my wife's favorite, and it's written on everything at our home. You don't miss this verse uh, for sure. But it's, it's in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. And it says this, whatever you do, whatever, whatever your vocation is, stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, students in this room, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. I love you, but I'm going to have to please him before you. I love you and I'll sit and pray with you and I will speak words into you that God gives me and I will do anything for you. I'll show up and help you move. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. But I will. But, the end of the, but at the end of the day, there it is. Not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. Look at this. It's in bold, so it's important. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That's who we serve. We're not here to serve man. We're here to serve the Lord. Our jobs, I get, I think I have the greatest job in the world. I get to tell people about Jesus. I get to tell people about my life. Last week was an amazing day for me, and many of you don't know this, and I actually shared this in our staff devotion on Sunday, and I'll just share just a piece of it, but we had Five baptisms last week with a set of sisters, incredible little girls, and we baptized three triplets. Now, you may not know about these triplets and why I kind of, if you were here and you saw this, I had one of them that was in the tank, and I just kind of had a little bit of a, a moment there. And the reason I had this moment, I want to share with you in this, because it was such a special moment that all these things rushed into my face, into my head, in that moment when I looked down at this little girl's face and this is the Landers triplets. And I, I, I love this family. And we became 10, uh, well, 11 years now, we came to Bowie High School. My wife became the head girls basketball coach. And Jason Landers was the volleyball coach. And Vicki was his assistant coach. And 
for basketball, Jason was the freshman coach. Now, I coached basketball for a really long time, for about 15 years of my life. He knew nothing about basketball, so he would ask me to sit behind his bench, and when things would happen, he would tell me to, you know, he would look behind me and go, what are they doing? That's a zone, Jason. Yeah, that is, you run this. Okay, and he would call it out, and we just had a great relationship. Well, Jason got diagnosed with cancer. And we walked through this with the family. We walked through it with Jason. I would drive him over to, to, to the chemo, and we would talk about God. We would talk about life. I would pray for him, and he would look me in the face and really ask me a question. Hey, am I going to make it? I don't know. But I would always say, yeah, fight, man. Keep going. Push. I would pray for him, and I will never forget, and this is where this came up last week. I never forget him looking at me in the face. It was one of our cancer trips and one of our, I mean, uh, the, the trips I took him to chemo. And we're sitting in these chairs. I remember him looking me right in the face with the most, and he said, take care of my girls. And last week when I was baptizing that little girl, I looked into her face and she looks a lot like him and I just kind of looked in her face and I saw him saying, take care of my girls. And I knew in this moment it was being fulfilled. I knew in this moment we were taking care of these little girls. I love these girls like my own. This is the job that we have. And just because I'm the pa- one of the pastors standing on this stage, I want you to understand something. This is all of our job, to take care. So whatever your job is and wherever your job is located, we're here to serve and to serve people. That's what we want to do, serve them. And you never know, and this was I guess, five years ago that he passed. It was all coming true right there in that moment. And the job's still not done still taking care of them. Would you close your eyes and be real still? I'm going to pray for us. I want us to use this time right now as I kind of get, uh, I'm going to pray and the time for this, this is a response time. We're going to play a song. We're going to respond. And how the response whatever you need is going to be a response. Maybe this morning you need salvation. Maybe this morning all this doesn't really matter at all until you know who Jesus is and you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe this morning is the morning that you give your life to Jesus. That's going to be a time for that. You come to the altar, we'll meet you. Maybe you need to be baptized. You've put that off so long. This is a time to respond to that. Come, talk to us. We'll we'll meet you. Maybe for some, you just need to come and give your work, give your job, give it all to Jesus this morning. Bottom line is, this is whatever you need to do. This is your response time. Because he can move whatever mountain is in your life, and he can do it over and over and over. So this is your time. Father, we love you. God, we thank you that we can have the attitude of knowing 
that you love us. That we can take that to our jobs. We can take that to our careers. We can take that to wherever we are. That we can do it each and every day, God, with you. And without you is meaningless. And so, God, I pray for maybe there's somebody in this room that they don't have you. They don't know you. They don't have a relationship with you. And their life is meaningless at this time. But they need you this morning, God. I pray that you will move in their hearts, spirit. That they will come and give their life to you. We love you, Jesus. God, I pray that we all, as believers in this room, the believers in this room will take to heart this morning that wherever we are is our ministry. And we can share you with more and more people each and every day. Lord, we love you. God, we praise you. God, we just ask you to keep doing it doing it and doing it. Do it again, Lord. In Jesus' name. Hey, this altar's open. Would you stand and let's worship. And this altar's open this morning.